Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Books We Read. I'm here again with Jaren, and it is great to be recording these episodes again. So today, we are going to hit, I think for one of the first times, an episode where our books coincide quite nicely. So that's kind of cool. Usually, we're in like way different they don't align at all kind of books. Um, but I'm going to be talking about Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. Uh, and Jaren, what book will you be reviewing? I'm Using Ourselves to Death by Neil Postman. Okay. So this should be interesting because I've never read Postman's work at all, but I've heard good things about it. So uh, yeah, Jaren, do enlighten me. Um, what are some things you learned from that book? I think it brought a little bit of cynicism about the way the world is these days. It's about technology, um, specifically digital technology and media, or maybe since it was written in 1985. I don't know. Was it digital back then? The media was Whoa. TV. No. Yeah. That's like analog days. Yeah. Man. He was writing about TV um, like... and the way that um, – that kind of media was affecting humanity. And it's not a great commentary. He he isn't congratulatory of TV. He doesn't like it. And his book talks about its harms. More broadly, it's a book about media, um, sociology, written for a popular audience. But it does center around TV and TV media. Um, he has a variety of arguments in the book. Um it's a complex argument, so of course I'm not going to be able to talk about it in depth and adequately here in this episode. Um, so I'm going to recommend that you go read it for yourself, but I'll talk about a few of the things that I noticed in it. He talks about the way that media trivializes important things um, by virtue of the fact that TV is specifically tailored for entertainment and production value. His case study is TV preachers. He didn't like what was happening to church and preaching and Christianity in America because of the TV preachers. He saw them as trivializing, dumbing down, and making it worthy just for entertainment, the kinds of things that should be taken much more seriously than TV could possibly communicate. He also talks about idolatry and the Ten Commandments, um, specifically the one about not making graven images. The point he's making and the way that he is tying this into media, visual media, is that when you're making a graven image or a TV production, you're making an inaccurate representation of something that really cannot be fairly represented, such as God or even talks about time. He thinks the 11th commandment should be, thou shalt not make for thyself mechanical representations of time. Because he, the point is that time is something that you actually can't really represent well physically because time doesn't exist in the physical world. What we do with clocks is try to make a representation of time, but it ends up being inaccurate. And we look at the clock and think that it is somehow a meaningful representation of time when it really doesn't capture what's going on. And so I think the way it, 
it's a similar media. Um, for example, think about a podcast conversation like this. Are we really having a conversation? Or is it just a representation of one? And I guess it depends on like how do we define a conversation. To its fullest possible extent and meaning, um, I think a communication or a conversation demands person-to-person physicality where we're acutely aware of our environment, where there's um, smells and a similar environment, similar ambience and background noise that are all factor in environmental and contextual clues in a conversation. But when we're having a conversation through media like this, a mediated conversation, some of those things are missed. So in a way, like what we're doing here on this podcast episode is really a metaphor for a physical reality. But inevitably, we end up not, the representation ends up being vastly inferior to the real thing, the thing itself, or the thing that we're um, representing. In some ways, that's the case with all media, and it's inevitable. Even words themselves are just metaphors or symbols for physical things. So you know, that's it's impossible to totally avoid that. But when you have media like this, it adds additional layers and greater separation between the real thing or the physical thing and the representation of it. That's kind of the gist of one of his important arguments. Just one last thing that I'll mention. If this is indeed is eroding civilization and the way he talks about, it's a very, very sad way to go. Um, like, wouldn't, wouldn't it be much more glorious to destroy civilization on the earth through like a nuclear war or something, but instead we're doing it by means of scrolling through tipped TikTok and going down, um, what do they call them? Doom scrolling and stuff. Like, if this really is messing yes. messing with civilization and being corrosive, like, it's really, really sad. And going to give some credits here to a friend named Josh for pointing this out, but he, he equated some of these ideas with um, T.S. Eliot's The Hollow Man, where it ends, this is the way the world ends, this is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but with a whimper. You know, this is very apocalyptic yeah. and doomsday-ish. But it feels like that's kind of what's happening here um, with the way that... That got bleak. Very bleak. <laughs> and the way that yeah. media and the internet and digital communication is messing with the way we perceive reality. Mm. We do it to ourselves. Something society's accepted. And Postman is a prophet to critique it and to push back against what's happening to society through media. That's so... Wow. That's so interesting because he couldn't have predicted the internet boom. For sure. I mean, there's no way he could have predicted TikTok and Instagram and whatever. But I haven't read his book, but it sounds like he's really spot on in in some ways in just analyzing what this does to our brains. Like what TikTok, the app, does to your brain at a neurological and chemical level is is totally just wild. You know, and it, it's scary. Um, yeah. Anyway, 
I don't know. Your your idea of going out in a blaze of glory from a thermal nuclear explosion, I'm not sure is any better. Um, <laughs> but it, it's a vivid image, and I'll definitely remember it. <laughs> it's it's very it's very poignant yeah. and memorable. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that that's all I have to say about that book. But you're reading one that talks about some similar things um, that I would love to hear about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we had reviewed. Um, the other Cal Newport book that he's really famous for called Deep Work. Um, and then this one came out, Digital Minimalism is the one we're looking at today. And it came out a few years later. Deep Work, highly recommend. You should just read it. It's, it's really good. Um, at least at least the basic premise of it. You maybe don't need to read the whole thing. But Digital Minimalism takes some of those concepts, but gets a bit more specific. Um, and I found it very good as well. Um, he goes into a lot of these things like how digital stuff affects our brains and the way we live but he's not near as much of a doomsdayer as what you're putting it out to be he's more saying hey here are these tools and they aren't super good for us if we use them all the time because you know endlessly doomsday scrolling uh through instagram is bad for your brain like just like literally bad for you in many ways um for your mind and the brain structure the gray matter um, so here's some principles and reasons why and some ways that you can have a healthier relationship with technology, hence the name digital minimalism. It's not about how much can we consume. It's like, no, 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 here's a good tool, but let's let's actually regulate this thing in our own lives a bit. Um, so here's the basic premise. Um, this whole idea of the digital world was invented very quickly, extremely rapidly, and society hasn't had the chance to really adapt well. And to quote, he said, we add new technologies to the periphery of our experience for minor reasons, then woke up one morning to discover that they had colonized the core of our daily life, end quote, which I think is a beautiful way of saying it. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we first got our little pagers so that, you know, we can be available for emergencies, you know, like doctors and, and people like that. And then next thing you know, everybody has one. And then next thing you know, everybody has a cell phone. And now everybody has a smartphone. And it just it just whoosh, it just happened really quickly like on the time scale of human history it's a blink of an eye and here we are with fiber optic internet and 5g and and all these other super fast and amazing technologies but it's a little quick and we haven't adapted very well that's his core premise um it, it gives it, it just does wacky things to our brains um so he goes into a lot of that stuff i'm, I'm guessing it's fairly similar to postman's thing except this book is written in 2019 so what is that 35 years more present than Postman, but really a lot of the same stuff. Um, um, And then he said, and here's another core premise. He said, to quote, our current unease with new technologies is not really about whether or not they're useful. It's instead about autonomy. We signed up for these services and bought these devices for minor reasons, to look up friends' relationship statuses or eliminate the need to carry a separate iPod and phone. And then found ourselves, years later, increasingly dominated by their influence, allowing them to control more and more of how we spend our time, how we feel, and how we behave. And he said, that's the problem. <laughs> it's like, this isn't what we signed up for, and it's too much. It's, it's gone too far. So his point, the whole premise of the book, boils down to his definition of digital minimalism. And this is his kind of life philosophy and that he wanted to share with everybody else that he recommends for us today. 
boils down to this simple definition. A philosophy of technology use in which you focus your online time on a small number of carefully and optimized activities that strongly support things you value and then happily miss out on everything else. So it's like, use the technology if you need to. It's a tool, but like cut everything else out. Like you, you don't need to endlessly scroll TikTok um, to use a practical example. Um, and then he goes through the rest of the book really is, is just practical ways of how to do that, how to eliminate a lot of the digital, you know, influences and things and just leave it, live a simpler life. Really. He actually uses the Mennonite and Amish in as one of his core parts of one of the chapters in here, which I found fascinating because he's like, Hey, these Amish might have something here. That's, that's important for us to learn. It's like, that's kind of cool. Um, um, and then he boils it down to a couple of principles like, hey, um, avoid clutter in your digital life, optimize, you know, how your devices influence you um, and, and, and so forth. Just, again, you know, pretty, pretty practical, um, practical stuff. And then it ends with, I'm not sure it ends, but and then hits a bunch of stuff on um, just how solitude and giving ourselves space to think without being connected to the digital world is very healthy for us mentally for our brains and and then goes through like some practical ways people should do that um with the premise being to quote humans are not wired to be constantly wired <laughs> uh wired into the digital world um and i think he's right you know i, re I really do um it sounds like he's not taking it nearly as far as postman uh, does but really saying a lot of the same things and and i would recommend it it's a it's a good book he's he's got he's got the good things to say so yeah that that's 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 what i have have you found any of it things that you're able to implement into the way that you do things oh yeah yeah he's got all kinds of good stuff like turning your phone completely on silent like notifications won't come in at all for extended periods of time throughout your day like or, or leaving it in a different part of your house so you don't see it that's a little thing but it comes back to that i am now in control of what distractions come into my life whereas if i have my phone right beside me which is normal activity now then it sets the parameters of when i'm distracted wait a second that's not good i want to set the parameters of when i'm distracted you know um, and even getting like really aggressive of smartphone notifications. So I've went into like settings and stuff and turned off most of that stuff um, to where important notifications that I need, like, you know, business email or, um, you know, some, something like that. Yes, I'll get those. But everything else, I'm not, it's not going to notify me. I can check that, you know, once a week or whenever when I do my normal check. Um, very practical stuff, actually, uh, that, that he recommends. Um, and yeah, I've, I found it helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like he's pointing out the way that the technology can take control, invade our autonomy, erode our capacity to engage with the world. And in, in some ways, it sounds like it's dehumanizing. It's trying to take over the kinds of things that we ought to be doing, not our tools. He doesn't say it in those words but he basically says that verbatim what what you just said that it's de it's dehumanizing like we can't be present anymore mm -hmm. you know which this is getting into another study that's not in the book but this thing if you take away someone's smartphone 
they'll literally go through the same withdrawal or similar withdrawal symptoms that someone experiences when they feel disconnected, like from a physical part of their body. Um, it has a similar pattern, and it's not the same, obviously, but but your brain goes through that similar like freak out mode, like, oh my goodness, I've lost a really important part of my body. <laughs> no, you haven't. You lost your smartphone. But, but it has so become part of an extension of ourselves that to take it away from someone is really interesting to watch. They'll like get mad. They'll get depressed. They'll get like anxiety, like extreme anxiety or like I'm missing out on all this stuff. Ah, they won't be able to, it, it does some wacky things. There's some, there's some really interesting stuff online about that. And he talks about some of it as well in the, in the book. Um, and I'm like, wait a second. That's, that doesn't strike me as good. You know, that, that, that seems a little weird. Um, I don't know. Mm -hmm. We should do an experiment on each other where we steal each other's phones for a day and see how the other person responds. Yeah, I would love to do that. The one thing I haven't figured out how to do, though, is um, like WhatsApp. How, how do you function in a community of people who really expect you to be accessible through a very specific means, namely WhatsApp, like without just... I don't know, alienating yourself. It's like, it's like a way relationships work. And I would see that these relationships is pretty important. So yes, in theory, I would love to, I would love to steal each other's phones for a month. Um, but I'm not, I'm not sure how to make that work. Like theoretically, That's I'm on really board with him. I haven't figured out in my own life how to make some of these extreme measures to regain my autonomy um, actually happen. Well, yeah, but you can get WhatsApp on your computer and lock your phone into a safe and you could still have access to those messages whenever you had your computer up and booted. You could you could respond, but besides that, you wouldn't be reachable. Well, that sounds like I, heaven. I mean, that's kind of what I do. I honestly, I like I'll leave my phone just like set and and go off and do something for half a day or whatever, um, and come back. I have found that in, uh, that that feels great. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really good. <laughs> but I still, if if my computer is around or something, I like I can still see. Oh, okay, hey, something important did actually happen, and I and I do need to get because I you know because some of it's work you know work mm -hmm. stuff. I don't know. You should, have you experimented with doing something like that? Yeah, earlier this year, I used a flip phone for, I don't know, a couple of weeks, a month, or something like that. Well, that was interesting. What, well, you, you got to tell me more. That's fascinating. I didn't know that. Yeah, so, like, I was wanting to try this digital minimalism thing and see if I could cut down on the distractions and the invasion, much of which happens through a smartphone, not so much with a flip phone. Um, so, yeah, I used WhatsApp Web. Of course, I still had the smartphone. I used WhatsApp Web, used Signal and Telegram on the desktop apps when needed. But that was only when I was at my work computer, typically. Um, so there was large parts of my life, especially weekends and evenings when I didn't have access to those apps and the distractions um travel was interesting went to north carolina um to an obscure place there once during that time 
So got to try out a paper map again, paper road atlas. Um, that was a good experience. You know, not particularly heroic or magnificent. It wasn't that long ago that everybody used paper atlases like that. But it's become a challenge since I've become so dependent on Google Maps. Um, so yeah, it was a good experience. It wasn't perfectly implemented. It got to the point where people were needing to contact me and it became more distracting wondering whether or not I was missing genuinely important things. Um, then, um, yeah, it just, it just became more distracting than it was worth. So I think some of it was because I didn't thoroughly enough commit. Like if you're not going to have... Um, if you can do it properly, I think you need to get off of the services where people expect to be able to reach you. Like, don't just have WhatsApp where you check it four or five days a week. Um, totally delete WhatsApp. I, I didn't know you did that. Yeah, but that sounds that sounds like better than doing nothing. Like, I can imagine probably having a lot more free time if you're not mindlessly scrolling Facebook or something. I mean, I mean maybe you didn't notice that at all, but, like, the amount of time people on average spend on Facebook and Instagram is is bonkers. Like, I, I mean, it's crazy because it's that doomsday scrolling. Like, the algorithms are so good at, you know, making us want to keep keep looking. Oh, maybe I missed something. Especially Twitter these days. Woo-hoo. With Elon Musk buying it, it's like everybody's spending all this time on Twitter. Like, ooh, what's going to happen next? And something's exploding and, like, you know, all that stuff. And it's like people get to, get to spend hours and hours a day Scrolling through your Twitter feed, mm-hmm. so it sounds like you got at least some benefit. Yeah, it was there was some benefit to it. Um, there's better or worse ways to do it. I didn't do it the best way, but there was some benefit. Yes, that's so interesting. Yeah, I know. I know what I did. I took a sabbatical for a month, and I just basically told my organization I, I work for a nonprofit and. And just say, hey, I'm, I'm, and that we all agree, you know, like, yeah, we can do this, cool. And I logged out of my work accounts and said I won't be reachable through these services, so just don't message me unless it's urgent. And so they just knew not, not to message me, and that cut out probably ninety percent of my comms, like communications that I need to keep up with. And then it left only like family and um, close friends, things like that. And that was great because, because then I didn't, so I could actually keep my phone. There was a, very minimal distractions coming in just from all the noise that comes with work and, and whatever. And it was great. Like it, but that, that wasn't, I mean, that wasn't near the level of going to a flip phone, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that would, that would be a challenge yeah. for me. I know. It would. My main job is a nine to five job. And so like when I'm at work, I'm at work and it's easier to get away than it is where it sounds like your job is a bit more, uh, I don't know pervasive or something than just a job where you clock in and out yeah yeah i have to be available yeah, that makes it like that's part that of makes it a bit more challenging yeah it's kind of annoying honestly i mean it, i don't mind that's part of what i signed up for it's like i mean i helped build the organization so it's you know it's kind of my own fault if i don't like it but um but then doing that where it's like hey don't message me unless it's urgent and then I found out like 98% of the time it can wait a couple of weeks and it's no big deal. <laughs> so that was really a breath of fresh air, mm-hmm. I must say. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, probably ought to become a habit, more of a routine rather than an exceptional thing. Like, like could you do yeah. it every year yeah. or could you do it one week a month or something? That is the plan, actually. Yeah, that, that is the plan. Every year I'm going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. For at least at least two weeks um, at a time. So. Yeah, that's healthy. It's good. We'll see. Anyways, wow. Well, good stuff. Thanks for uh, thanks for um, doing this with me, Jaren. Uh, I feel like I learned some stuff. Um, can you remind us again what book it is that you sure. reviewed? It is "Amusing Ourselves to Death" by Neil Postman. Awesome. And the book I did was Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. And uh, yeah, these, these are important conversations to have, you know, about how technology affects us. It's, it's a wonderful tool with lots of potential, but it also has a lot of downsides and finding that balance is a challenge. So I, we'd love to hear from you all, the audience. Uh, how, how have you found what works in your life? Or maybe you have more questions on this. It'd be really interesting to Maybe y'all can hop over on Twitter and, and interact with Jaren and I. We're both there um, on Twitter. Um, just type our names in. should be able to find us. You can also follow us over on Goodreads, uh, which is where we uh, list all the books we're reading and can see uh, see what's going on there. That'd be always uh, great to, to have you follow us on that. Um, and if you want to see all the content we've ever made on this podcast, we have a website, which is kind of cool now. Um, it's called thebooksweread.info, and it lists every book we've reviewed as well as every episode that we've done if you kind of want a, a nice place to, to find all that stuff. So, yeah. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode. <laughs>